Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. I am so, so excited to have Haley Cole, also known as Haley, the scientist on the show today. And just for people who aren't familiar with her work, she's a host of the podcast Divinely Modern, which I was on that. So definitely check it out for that reason. <laughs> but she has a great podcast anyways, like lots of great deconstruction topics on there. And she's a blogger and a scientist with a mission to dismantle patriarchal theology, fight for justice, and discover a healthy spirituality after leaving toxic Christianity. She believes in approaching faith with critical thinking and open-mindedness. And please learn more about her and check out her website and her blog, which I will link below, and definitely check out her podcast. And the podcast offers support and conversations for exploring faith in the modern world and finding divinity all around us. I love that last line. How are you doing, mm. Haley? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. Of course. I am so excited for this conversation. And for people listening, we're really going to talk about how to have science and faith in harmony and really just go through Haley's own spiritual journey as she's grown as a person. And so I'm curious to you, like, what do you label yourself in regards to beliefs? Do you call yourself a Christian or are you just spiritual or what do you call yourself or identify yourself with? That is a great question. And normally it has to, my answer has to do with who I'm speaking to, actually. <laughs> uh, because unfortunately, the term Christian can mean a lot of different things. And if I'm talking to someone who has gone through deconstruction and they're trying to leave a to the toxic religion and these very patriarchal mindsets, if they're trying to leave that, I might not use the term Christian <laughs> because to them, that word is going to be associated with patriarchal thinking, heteronormative thinking, et cetera, all the things that we talk about in deconstruction, obviously. Uh, if I'm talking to a progressive Christian or to a pastor or someone who I know what they view Christianity as, and I would agree mm -hmm. with it, then I might call myself a Christian. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't really care about the terms and labels that we use, I care more about the ideas behind them. So if I'm really going to talk about what I believe, 
I'm going to say that I believe in God and I love believing in God. And I believe that believing in God as love is the most important thing of all. And I love the stories of, of the loving God in the Bible. And I will talk about later about, uh, how I don't always view all of these stories as hundred percent literal fact. And that's, that's okay for me. Some people would say that I'm therefore not a true Christian by saying that I don't care. I really don't care. People can call me whatever they want to call me. If you want to call me a Christian, if you want to call me a heretic, if you want to call me spiritual, but not religious, wherever you want to put me, I don't care. I believe what I believe. <laughs> it's kind of where I'm at in this point of my life. Um, let's see what, what else is there. Um, online, I often call myself a progressive Christian because I've noticed that other people who identify as a progressive Christian believe in a lot of the same things as me. Um, it's very common for people in these circles to pursue divinity, to pursue spirituality, but to do so with an open-mindedness and a grace and a, a sense of humility and that we don't know everything and we can't be a hundred percent certain about anything. So like, let's approach with kindness. Uh, so since I've seen that approach very common in progressive Christian circles, I do often call myself a progressive Christian at, online at least. Um, but it really depends on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to my mom, I do not call myself a progressive Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But th thank you for clarifying that. And it's funny um that you say that some people would say that you're not a true christian that was one of my questions because i know because of my background that if there are certain people that if you don't conform to this strict standard this fundamentalist view then your faith or your beliefs are illegitimate and you're like mm -hmm. disregarded really like oh like they're not true they're not the real deal and so what, what is your own kind of response to that? Like, I love earlier how you were like, I don't care, but deep down, is that really true? Oh, I have a response for this. I am so glad you asked this question. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who deconstruct still believe in the lie that there's only one way to be a Christian. And I've seen so many people, and I myself have been in this position before, I've seen so many people who, after deconstructing all these toxic ideas out of themselves, they're looking at what's left and they're asking, am I really a Christian? Like, can I even believe God if I don't believe in hell? All these different things. And, and that makes me really sad because the idea that there's only one correct way to be a Christian and or, there's only one way to live, behave, or believe in order to be able to be allowed to have the right to use that label. That is a controlling idea. That is a patriarchal idea. That is an idea pushed by the hyper-conservative Christian to try to push you back into line. Um, and it's not true. And so 
I am the kind of person who will say if, that if you call yourself a Christian, then all right, I will consider you a Christian. Even if you don't hold on to views that I would consider to be Christianity, that doesn't matter. You identify as a Christian, I'm going to respect that. Now this goes both ways. Okay. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people say like, oh, these people are really bad, but they're not actually Christians. Cause they don't, you know, they don't seem good. So we're not going to care about those. And I'm like, no, if this person identifies as a Christian and they do bad things, we need to acknowledge that. So it, it goes, this, this principle <laughs> applies in many, many different contexts, but the underlying idea is that I respect how a person identifies. And I'm going to mm. do the same for myself. So if someone tells me they are a Christian, I'm going to respect that. And if I want to call myself a Christian, or if I don't want to call myself a Christian, I'm going to respect that. I That's my absolutely <laughs> love that response. And first, I'm going to say, I related so much to what you were saying about how people, when they deconstruct things, and think they have to do it one way leave like that was me that was 100 percent me um and it's unfortunate because the indoctrination i remember being taught if i didn't do things a certain way or if even like people who identified as christians did things differently like for example mm -hmm. um listen to contemporary <laughs> this, is <so> dumb. <laughs> this is so dumb it's so funny now. but it's so common it's so common <laughs> like it we is, laugh but also we we're dying inside as we're laughing <laughs> i know like the drama from all like the toxic religion but it's just like people who did things differently from your in group were seen as lesser christians like i remember being subjected to sermons of how oh like this church they have contemporary music and oh this church they don't talk about hell or tell people they're going to hell so they're not preaching the gospel and they're not true christians and like anyone who differed from our in-group or from this fundamentalist hyper-conservative view of christianity they were lesser christians or they weren't as good like the fundamentalism or the the hyper-conservative view that was like the golden standard that's what the impression i was given growing up and so mm -hmm. sadly like what you were saying a lot of people when they deconstruct yeah they think they can't hold on to it anymore and it's so true and i think too like that religious trauma makes it so hard to even do anything with it i think for a lot of people and so kind of throwing it away I mean, for me, like, I still, re I completely reject, like, the literalist, <laughs> fundamentalist view of Christianity, mm -hmm. but I have found, found myself becoming more curious about, you know, maybe exploring it in a non-literal way, under, like, looking at other cultures and different mythologies and myths and stories, and looking at, like, deeper meanings, and so that's something I've kind of started, um, to become open to and um and i love how you talked about like having it both ways <laughs> both ways mm -hmm. because a lot of christians avoid like holding really i don't know what you would say i guess they're people who people in their belief system they just it's so easy for them to dismiss other people like oh that they're not real and like don't dig into the core issues and don't understand why is this behavior happening or 
you know, it's easy to say, oh, they're not really part of the group. Oh, they're fake or whatever. So we won't, we won't look into the harmful things this person is doing. And like, you know, we've, I'm sure, I know I've dealt with this and I'm sure you have, as we've talked about calling out like harmful teachings and abuses mm-hmm. in these environments, people will say, not all churches, not, not all, all Christians, churches, not all Christians. Yep. <laughs> the most common answer, I feel like. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yes. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I feel like I don't think any of like, I feel like neither of us have said all of Christianity is like that anyways. So mm-hmm. like people are like projecting their own. Um, and again, I think it, it shows like, oh, I had to protect my belief system or my faith over listening and hearing this person mm-hmm. and really understanding and so really for you in your own journey what walk me through like the beginning stages of your faith and what ha- what that has transformed into now or where are you at now mm, the beginning stages of my faith i mean i was one of those kids who always grew up in the church. And I mean, you don't realize how strong the culture is until you're out of it. So something I like to, to clarify with people is that um, I had a very happy childhood. <laughs> like if I critique some of the things that I grew up with, I'm not saying I was miserable because I was actually very, very happy um, as, as a child, but as I grew older, especially into my teen years and began questioning things and having my questions kind of being pushed aside, you know, put it under the rug kind of a thing. Um, it wasn't really until college that I realized that a lot of the fears and anxiety that I had from religious teachings, it was all being extremely repressed. Um, and, so I like to say I did have a happy childhood, <laughs> um, but I think you can have a happy childhood and still also acknowledge trauma that you've had grow over time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that like, it's healthy to acknowledge both. Um, I think I say that in part of respect to my parents. So I still love, like, I don't hate them <laughs> at all. Um, I think that they were just raising me in the way that they were told to raise their children. They were all part of a culture. And so I critique culture. I critique ideas and a system more than specific people. Um, Even some pastors who I might very strongly disagree with now, I still love them as people. Um, But when I hit my college years, I began realizing all of the questions I had had been asking for years and didn't have any answers for. And I think being able to be out in a different city, in a different environment, different people, I didn't have, you know, people looking over my shoulder all the time, like asking why I'm Googling about whether the Old Testament wars were actually happening, you know, like I could actually have the space to really learn and look up everything. And so I feel like there was a very strong, um, like order of things that I deconstructed in the early years. So first it was science, honestly, because 
I fell in love with science and was a physics major. And the many, many struggles of feeling like my passion for studying the world was somehow at odds with my faith, that was extremely complicated for me to to really process. That's something I loved could also be like designed by atheists to destroy God. Like I really, that, that was really difficult for my brain to like fathom. I mean, I grew up as a strict six day creation. This is a young earth. I mean, I remember like my middle school teacher going on all these rants about all these crazy atheists trying to replace God with science. Like I, I remember all of these things that I heard. I remember in my high school youth group, I'm going a little off topic, but I, I'm going for stories here. <laughs> I remember one time in my high school youth group, they had this video of like a bunch of people in like gorilla costumes. And they're like, this is what atheists believe. They believe that we're monkeys. And I was like, first off, that's a gorilla, not a monkey. Secondly, that is not what atheists believe. <laughs> like they don't believe that we are monkeys. They're like the, the, the number of things that I have seen in the Christian church that paints science and scientists as the bad guy just breaks my heart. And so fast forward to now, I, I'm a physics researcher for um, an online tech company and I study space radiation and it's really, really cool. I absolutely love it. So like if we've got like a spacecraft taking orbit around the earth or going to the moon or going to Mars, like what kind of radiation could it encounter? And so my research might deal with a lot of nitty gritty details in our data, but the topics are just so vast in its magnitude. Like we're talking about the cosmos, we're talking about our solar system, we're talking about astronomy and such big ideas that like, it's really hard for me to be a scientist and not sound poetic at times. And so when I talk about science, like I do get kind of spiritual <laughs> sounding. And so to, so to, re to remember that this thing that I love, which is so spiritual and poetic to me has this science has been so demonized by the church. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me really sad because Christians lose out on all the beauty of science. They hurt their testimony by looking like idiots. Sorry, probably shouldn't say that. That sounds a little mean. But I mean, really though, if you are constantly, constantly ignoring science, saying that a virus is not a virus because you just don't want to believe in it and you just completely make fun of scientists all the time. I mean, I know again, off topic, but the point is that yeah. when, when, when Christians are constantly making science, their enemy, they're losing people. They're hurting their own testimony, mm -hmm. their own reputation. They're not yeah. going to be able to <laughs> sound credible when you're saying that, <laughs> that science is like anti-God. Um, you, you lose such a massive, beautiful, um, 
like area of, of top a topic. I mean, science is so mm-hmm. beautiful to study. Um, and it, it makes me really sad to see, see the church be so against it and make it sound like it's anti-Christian when really science is pro critical thinking. And a lot of times, uh, fundamentalist churches and religious beliefs are, trying mm-hmm. to diminish critical thinking. And so that's the real problem. It's not about the science. It's about the critical thinking. Mm. That was a long speech, but there you go. No, I love it. And I really love what you were saying about like the spiritual feelings and experiences with science, because I when we explore the world around us and observe it, I think we experience a lot of feelings of like awe and wonder mm-hmm. and curiosity and, you know, I think especially awe and wonder have those kind of like spiritual feelings in and of themselves and kind of what you were saying about how like, yes, like the church is against science because of the critical thinking. And to me, it's like, if what you're teaching is the absolute truth, you shouldn't be worried about mm-hmm. science. and. Mm-hmm people will try to say like oh like look at this person they went to science and they don't believe these things anymore yes this is proof the devil has them <laughs> and it just and it it keeps people scared of that information mm-hmm. and i just mm-hmm. relate to like just all the educational neglect that happens in homeschooling, like I've been there, like been there, done that, just experiencing the educational neglect because you're afraid of that information mm-hmm. and how it's like hurting children by denying them that education also and teaching them to be afraid of it. Because guess what? You're right. Like these people, they're afraid of critical thinking and they're creating generations of people that don't critically think. And so we, I think, I know you kind of didn't want to get into it earlier, but um, I think again, like COVID, like we saw examples of people who don't have critical thinking skills and then jump into all the oh, QAnon, yeah. all the QAnon shit. Oh my shit. gosh. <laughs> the lack of just basic logic yes. that I kept seeing. Um, I will say, um, this is, I was not the one who invented this phrase. So I'll try to see if I can find a source for it, but I heard it a couple of times. So maybe it's just ambiguous. But um, one of the things I heard was that COVID was the first time that just the general public was witnessing the um, scientific method in real time. Like people didn't don't under, think about how mm-hmm. you have to yeah. go through the experimentation with the hypothesis and the theory. Like there, there is a process you have to go through mm-hmm. and you have to experiment again, update that hypothesis and you go back and forth. Like that's how science works. Um, sorry if that had to pop some bubbles for some people, but like you don't come to a quick, solid, firm answer really quickly. And that's just mm-hmm. how science works. So anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there that you're right when we when we don't allow science to be fully educated within Mm -hmm. Christian communities, you're creating generations of people who can't think critically, can't Mm -hmm. use logic and who 
are cut off from, from science. So actually your point of talking about education really hits home because I'll be honest, I'm very lucky that I fell in love with physics and not biology because I was never taught about evolution. And mm. I would have walked into my, my college yeah. classes and been like, I don't know any of this. <laughs> so, I mean, there's definitely a lot um, filtered out in physics as well, but like the basics of like gravity. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you get some of the basics yeah. in a high school Christian room as well. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so... I know you had mentioned earlier you had so many questions that no one could answer and could would you mind like talking about and mentioning those questions that you had mm. oh man like I said there's so many okay so I guess how about the <laughs> I uh, can young I can earth? focus if you want though oh young earth okay sure that's up to this one yeah so <laughs> um yeah. So the, I mean, the questions were like, how is this possible? And my answers are like, it doesn't have to be, <laughs> I don't have to believe that the world was created in a six day progression, um, with a literal talking snake. And like, I, we, I don't need to believe in the literal aspects of stories for me to um, learn from and gain from the story. So here, here's what I should say. Most of the questions that I had related to science in the Bible um, had to do with the topics of biblical inerrancy and biblical literalism. So of course, biblical inerrancy, meaning that the Bible is without law without errors and that it's totally entirely inspired by god such that it's flawless and then <laughs> and then the idea of biblical literalism um meaning that we're going to interpret everything literally in the bible um there's a lot to go there but uh let me see so, so, um, so let's talk about stories. So the idea, uh, let me see, let me start this over. I lost my train of thought. You can just edit that out. No, it's all good. <laughs> um, so, all right. So you were asking me about all the different questions that I had. And so my answer is that, um, most of the questions that I had struggling with the Bible and science um, were they were most of them were answered by letting go of the principles of biblical inerrancy and biblical literalism. Um, that was the most important thing for me was to let that go and to acknowledge the fact that you can gain from a story without having to believe in all of its historical literal fact. So, like, for example, when you have the um, stories of Moses coming to Egypt and, you know, sending them frogs, sending them fleas and having a, you know, days without, without light, you know, all the different plagues against Egypt, right. Um, waiting, going and going and going with all these different plagues until finally Pharaoh sets the Israelites free. Well, here's the thing. 
you can go on and on trying to debate whether or not that physically happened, historically happened. And my answer is I don't really care. And it doesn't really matter to me because at the end of the day, it doesn't affect me physically now in the modern era, whether or not that physically happened in that physical way. Um, but what does matter to me is the story. What is What was the message actually trying to tell me? The message of, of the story was that God frees people who are oppressed. God heard the cries of his people and set them free. And, and that is the story. That is the meaning of the story of Moses and the Israelites and the plagues against Egypt. And whether or not it's historically accurate or scientifically accurate is less of a question. And so as a scientist who believes in God, I talk about trying to find harmony between science and faith. I do not talk about trying to find harmony between science and the Bible. Mm, okay. Because I don't think it matters. The Bible is not a science textbook. It was never meant to be. It should not be. I mean, we talk about, <laughs> can we talk about how, um, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, it, in, in the book of Joshua, Joshua is heading into battle with the Ammonites, one of the ites, okay, and <laughs> Amorites, that's what it is, um, and so Joshua goes to God and says, God, hold up the sun, just halt the sun in the sky and hold it there until we've won our battle, and so God does, and the sun stops in the middle of the sky until they've won, and they're like, hallelujah, I think I was a freshman or sophomore in college when I actually like started doing the math and being like, okay, what would happen if the sun just stopped? First off, that's a geocentric view of the solar system, which is completely scientifically inaccurate, proven a long time ago, right? The idea that the sun stops when really the earth is one rotating around the sun. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a flaw there just to begin with in the story, but let's just imagine that's not a problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's just imagine the earth stops rotating just suddenly. Okay. You have a thousand miles per hour of, of air and trees and people flying toward the East because anything that's not attached to the ground is just going to go soaring with the amount of momentum. They're not really flying. It's just their momentum's continuing them in the direction that they were going. Right. Um, just basic Newton's laws, not to, I'm trying to not go too nerdy here, um, <laughs> That's <all> good. <laughs> but anyway, so if, if the earth were to just stop rotating rocks would compress into each other and cause earthquakes you would have oceans turning into tsunamis because you would just have all everything on earth would keep its momentum while the earth stops and most of the earth's surface would be destroyed and i say this only because at one point in my life that realization broke me mm. because i was like oh my word the Bible is false. And I don't, I don't think that's the actual conclusion. I believe that the Bible is telling a story 
mm-hmm. whether it be a historical story or a legend. I don't care. People can take it however they want. Um, but the Bible is telling you a story about God helping his people fight a battle. Do we need to have the belief that the sun literally physically stopped rotating somehow on a heliocentric system? Uh, I don't think we need that. So that's why I mm-hmm. say that I have no interest in trying to combine mm-hmm. the Bible with science because the Bible is not a science textbook. The Bible is mm-hmm. a collection of many, many, many books and poems and letters from hundreds of years. And it is a collection that tells the story of humanity pursuing God and trying to figure out our place in this world. And it is not meant to tell us who is or is not allowed to preach on a Sunday. It is not meant to tell us who is and is not allowed to get married. Mm. It is not here to tell us how the world was created or how the sun is in the sky. It's not meant for all the things that I feel like Christians today think it is. Mm-hmm. Because when I look at the Bible, I I see people trying to figure out our place in this very complicated world. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a beautiful story that we need to be uh, refocusing on. Mm. And so I I do, I love your view of that, of how, oh yeah, this is people trying to figure it out, not seeing it from the absolute truth, only way black and white thinking. And um, and I think having that view also, I think, allows you to be like, okay, like, considering the context that it was made in, there are a lot of problematic things, which I know, mm-hmm. like, you deconstructed and have dug into. There are a lot of problematic things. And for people, especially, like, for me, deconstructing, I was like, if there's an all, like, loving God, and he really wrote this like oof like like a lot of icky feelings but then again a lot of dead people in the bible (laughs) a lot of genocide a lot of murder and so (laughs) then we remove that like divinely inspired again all of those things are still terrible no matter what Mm -hmm. but again realizing okay like this isn't divinely inspired Hopefully a God wouldn't condone any of this. These were people, this is just the, it's still terrible. It's just, they treat each other this way and Mm -hmm. they contributed what they did to a God. So if they won, it was God. If they didn't, some like Mm -hmm. some other force. And I I was going to add actually, um, something I've really changed my view on in recent years Mm -hmm. is the phrase divinely inspired. Um, And this is, I don't know how common this view is. Okay. But this is something that I've learned from people in my life who I've grown closer to in recent years who have more progressive views. And someone in particular told me that the idea of being divinely inspired isn't as like magical sounding perhaps, Mm -hmm. as we treat it to be. Mm -hmm. I think, um, so I'm just going to present this idea and people can take it or not. That's just what I'm going to do. So you don't have to believe this, but this is an idea that um, has really changed my view. 
What if the idea of being divinely inspired actually has nothing to do with inerrancy? Because that's the idea that becomes problematic, that if it's inspired Mm -hmm. by God, it's therefore without flaw, right? Mm -hmm. But what if it just means this very deep spiritual experience that inspires you to do something? Now, like the word inspired, um, like it's Latin roots, I think, um, it it means breathes by God. Like mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it means this like internal, deep, rich experience that you've had. So what if maybe, what if there's divinity all around us and that mm-hmm. we might have a deep spiritual moment sometimes today and be inspired by something, inspired to do something. I think that my, my love for, for fighting for justice could be divinely inspired. I think that sometimes when we are talking with a friend and suddenly we just feel that rich, deep internal experience that Mm -hmm. drives our words with passion and love that could be divinely inspired. Is it flawless? No, I have no interest in talking about perfection, Mm. but what the reason I say that is for, for all I know, perhaps some of the poets in the Bible felt divinely inspired when they were writing does it mean Mm -hmm. it's without flaw that is not what i'm talking about but does it mean that maybe there is divinity there absolutely Mm, yeah and i want to encourage people to be able to see that Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm really curious because as you've grown what is really like your definition or i guess your belief of divinity and your belief of god Ooh, okay. So I've never had to define divinity or God. Um, I will not try to define God other than the word love. So there Mm. you go. Um, But I'm very much in the perspective of, think of the fruit of the spirit. Okay. You've got love, joy, peace, patience, et cetera. What if we turn those around um, where there is love, there is divinity, where there Mm. is joy, there is divinity peace there is divinity and and it was actually that that way of thinking that years ago sent me to realize oh my goodness of course god would love and celebrate queer relationships of course because where there is love Mm. there is divinity where there is joy there is divinity because that that is a pure goodness right there Mm -hmm. how could anyone look at something that brings people love and joy and call that Mm -hmm. bad like that is a beautiful thing that we need to celebrate and i look at that and i say there's divinity there Mm. that's powerful i love it (laughs) um (laughs) and i guess kind of leading into like having science and faith in harmony now obviously you know there comes to a point where like you can't i guess you would say like you can't prove that spiritual beings exist with science yeah yeah. we can't do that and i have no interest in doing so (laughs) yeah and so i'm curious of like how your education and science has maybe influenced what you believed about the maybe the possibility of supernatural or do you see people interpreting certain things as supernatural that really weren't or how do you how does that change your view of the possibility Mm. of the supernatural 
Okay. This is a very interesting question and I'm going to answer it probably too vague for you, but I'm going to go for it. Okay. So my main answer is that I respect people's experiences. Mm -hmm. Who am I to look at someone and say, you are wrong. Your experience is invalid. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not ever going to do that. Okay. Yeah. So there are friends of mine who are very, very spiritual and they will tell me stories of experiencing you know, uh, an an angel or passing by feeling like a demonic presence or something like that. And I don't really know what I think of that, but I respect their experience. And I, Mm -hmm. and I know that they respect mine back. And so I will not look at someone and say, well, you're wrong. There are no angels or demons. No, I'm not going to do that because that's, Mm -hmm. that's not part of their belief. And that's not part of their um, experience. Mm -hmm. That's my first thing. Um, secondly, you were asking about my approach to spiritual matters, um, in light of being a scientist. So I have kind of two responses to that in a way. Um, first off, I believe that Christians use scientific thinking in the wrong way. Um, and I would like them to use it in the right way. So here's what I mean by that. Okay. I have seen too many books about trying to scientifically prove God, and I have no interest in it. We are not here to prove God. I have no interest in trying to prove the scientific existence of God. Okay. I believe that spiritual matters are a spiritual, like, like spiritual topic and, um, go by faith. It is your personal belief. Go by what you feel is right to you. Mm-hmm. And honestly, science does not have a place in trying to prove that there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I would really like to stop seeing people trying to prove Christianity with science. Um, cause it always has to do with your, like, interpretation of science and your interpretation of the Bible and science is always being updated because that's what science does. But if you don't also update your religious beliefs, it just, it just gets really messy. Okay. So I just, Mm -hmm. Christians are trying to sound scientific by like being like, we're going to prove God. And that, that is the wrong perspective. So here's what I think is the right perspective. There is something scientific that I would love for Christians to catch on with. Um, I think that Christians could really benefit from the principles of the scientific method. And what I mean by that is I believe that science is a very humble discipline. Um, there might be a lot of arrogant people in it, but the, the, but the, um, but the study of science, the pursuit of science is incredibly self-aware. Science doesn't care about being wrong. In fact, science loves being wrong because then science learns. Okay. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of personifying science here a little bit. Yes, but, I thought so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the point is that scientists are not scared of being wrong because then you learn. And that's a very common thing you see like in like a high school, like science lab, if you're to work in an experiment and they say like, oh, well, a failed experiment is still 
you know, noteworthy data, still write it down. That's still important to learn when you've messed mm -hmm. up because that's important to know what does not work just as much as it's important to know what does work, you know, that type of an idea. Um, I think that um, religious people, specifically Christians, evangelicals, conservative religious people um, could really benefit from that idea, that mindset of I could be wrong, but I go mm. with what I, I go, like I make these beliefs, I make these opinions based upon the information that I have. I could be wrong. And if I get new information, if I get new perspectives, I will hear with an open mind and I will consider updating and changing what I believe based upon all these new ideas. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful way of thinking. Yeah. So one of the things I like to say is that I give my future self the right and the space to change my mind because I should hope that moving forward, I continue to get more information and more context and hear from more people and continue to grow and learn with an open mind. So the bottom line is we should always be approaching um, religious and spiritual topics with an open mind mm -hmm. and the knowledge that we are never going to have all of it correct. We're going to be incorrect about something at least, <laughs> right? Yeah. And probably a lot of some things. Mm -hmm. So let's pursue it with humility because you never know. Most of the times I've been dogmatic in my life, I've later on recounted that. It's embarrassing to be dogmatic, okay? Because yes. then you're stuck with that and you're like, oh, I either have to like really go against what my younger self said or like just... So do your future self a favor and, and don't be dogmatic. <laughs> mm, mm, yes, yes. Like 100% agree. Um, and I think, yeah, I think giving yourself that opportunity to constantly growing, I think is so, so helpful to your own growth and, you know, as I've deconstructed and whenever people ask me, oh, like, where do you think you're going to land? Or do you have like very like specific beliefs that you're, that you know, you are like, you know, you, people say to me, you have to believe in something. You have to land somewhere. Mm -hmm. You have to. And to me, I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. Like I always want to be exploring Mm -hmm. everything and to me like I, mean, I feel like I, I, I've always been kind of a learner and I want to like learn the rest of my life mm -hmm. and not get to the point of be like oh I believe this so I'm gonna shut out all the information that goes against this and go into my corner mm -hmm. and do my thing <laughs> and so for you what has been as you've grown, what has your spiritual life been like? Like, what does that mean to you? And how do you practice that if you do? Ooh, that's not where I thought you were going. So let me think <laughs> about this. <laughs> um, I would say the first thing is the word uh, open-minded mm -hmm. because I have learned so much from hearing other people's experiences and they might be very different than mine, 
mm-hmm. but I learn from them and I love hearing people's stories. Um, because to me, humanity and divinity, like those topics go together mm-hmm. and I can't really talk about one without the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I talk about spirituality, I'm talking about really rich, authentic, raw human experiences that connect us to like something bigger. So one of the things that is very common in uh, spirituality in general, and this is a very broad topic when I talk, I'm not talking only about Christianity here, that one of the things that people want when they go to spirituality is self-transcendence. The idea that like connecting to something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very beautiful thing. It's a sense of purpose and belonging and place in the world. And I think that's just absolutely beautiful. Um, I think that I just had an episode a few um, recently um, where I interviewed Anita Grace Brown, who's a yoga teacher. And she, I absolutely loved it. She was talking about spirituality and and she said that sometimes spirituality just means taking a really big breath, just sitting in the moment and finding peace. And I loved that so much because I think that growing up, I used to think that spirituality was something massive and cosmic and the heavens opening up and God pouring down straight out of the Sistine Chapel. And, and I really don't think that's what spirituality means anymore. Um, I don't always know if I've got a good definition for it, but when I experience it, I know it. Mm. And, and it's got this deep connection to me. Um, of, of this is, this is who I am. This is my place in the world. I, I am experiencing goodness here and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that I am not a linguist. I am not a theologian. I, I do not study Greek or Hebrew, any of those fancy languages. Um, but I have read a lot that um, from, I have read from all the people who have studied those mm-hmm. languages that the the word for salvation in the Bible, it m- doesn't really mean save from like a verb kind of that we tend to use it as like, you must be saved from hell because, you know, those speaking of which those three words are not in the Bible anywhere, save from hell. Mm-hmm. So the save from is save from what is a great question, right? Um, and you can't really get that question answered because I don't believe that the Bible was talking about being saved from anything in particular. Um, the the word for for salvation, the Bible is more accurately translated as the sense of being whole. Um, and I think that's absolutely beautiful. This sense of wholeness, completeness this sense of being at peace with yourself in the world, like that, that to me, that is the goal. And so not only have I deconstructed the ideas of like hell that have historically made me terrified and made me feel like I needed to push my beliefs on everybody else, 
not only have I taken that out, but I've also completely changed my perspective on salvation and it has completely changed my view of spirituality in general. So the point is there are some people in my life who I absolutely love and adore who have no interest in God or religion and they are so happy. They Mm. are having love and joy and peace in their life. And to me, that's beautiful. Mm. They don't have to believe in what I believe. And that's okay. Because the wholeness that I pursue through that I, that I want, and I, and I use spirituality to get there, that, that wholeness they find in other things and that's okay. I think, so the reason I mentioned this is because you asked me about what does spirituality look like to me? A big part of spirituality in my life is acknowledging that it's very personal. Mm -hmm. It looks different for everyone. And I have no interest in pushing my experiences or my beliefs on others. So that's my conclusion. Thank you for coming to my TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. And (laughs) I think something I'm glad you get brought it up that I want to dig more into is really the elephant in the room, which is hell. Oh, yeah, I did hint at that. Definitely for sure. <laughs> um, and we haven't gotten too much into that, but I mean, I mean, when you're told that this place is real and anyone who doesn't believe like you is going there, there is that sense of urgency, that fear to bring as many people in as possible. So how did you deconstruct hell and get over the fear of that? There are three answers that I have. And the first is my relationship with hell um, or my view of hell and how it has changed over the years. Um, I was the kid who growing up would just be so scared, just walking around Target or Walmart, going to like a concert and being like, oh my gosh, all these people, all these people in this crowd, most of them are going to hell and they don't even know it. That was terrifying, mm-hmm. terrifying to me. And that that's one of the biggest fears that just hid deep down inside me. So like outside, it looked like a happy child, but inside I was so scared of all the people who seemed really nice. I'd be like, the the person at Starbucks was really nice to me today, but she's probably going to hell. That's scary. Because, And I say that because statistically, according to most Christians, most people are going to hell. So I just had to assume that most people I encountered would probably go to hell. That's a terrifying idea. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's personally, I think it's really wrong to teach that idea to children. Um, I think it's way too heavy of an idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had this little doll growing up that, um, she was like a little angel and she would like, I think her hands might've moved into a prayer position. I don't remember, but I know for sure she had a song and it was the, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord, my soul to take. I prayed that every night. Because what if I accidentally sinned, didn't even know it, and I just lost my ticket to heaven? 
I share that because the the trauma of believing in hell is real. Yeah. And it, it sticks with you for a long time. Um, so letting go of the belief in hell was probably one of the biggest reliefs in my life and realizing that I am not inherently evil, that I do not deserve to be in eternal conscious torment changed my view of myself as well, because I, I should also say I grew up Calvinist, which means um, that I believe that God was in control of everything and that humans are completely and in every way inherently depraved, aka evil, sinful. Um, letting go of that belief helped me discover or, and realize my own sense of self-worth. Because beforehand, to me, if if I was ever in pain, it was just part of the hell that I really did deserve. Mm. And that creates such an unhealthy view of suffering as something justifiable or good or holy. There's, there's a lot wrong. We could go a whole episode into the way that the church has like viewed suffering. That's a whole other thing we could go into. If you want, we can, but uh, I'm trying not to go off topic because I know I'm passionate about literally everything in this episode. <laughs> so anyway, so the original question was um, how I view hell. And so I said, I had three answers. The first one is that my view of hell has changed and it has changed how I view myself. It has also changed my view of God because growing up, God was scary. God was angry, vengeful, jealous and honestly fickle like it the god i worshiped was kind of more like zeus mm -hmm. because if you do something wrong he's gonna zap you down and be like you have sinned repent and be obedient once more like that that was i mean that's what it felt like um i was always scared of god and of course i was scared of god literally everywhere they would say fear the lord fear the lord and i get i i think that's one of the one of the phrases that bothers me the most of all uh yeah um i don't believe we should be scared of god i think god should be someone that if you're going to believe in god i believe that god should be someone who you would want to run to when you're mm -hmm. scared someone to hold you and care for you um one of the people who's made the biggest difference in my view of God is um, Dr. Thomas J. Ord, who wrote the book, God Can't, um, where he talks about the ideas that maybe God can't prevent evil. And this idea honestly is still new to me. I've only known it within this past year, um, but it has completely changed my view of everything that what if God doesn't cause pain or allow pain, but instead sits alongside us and experiences it with us, cries with us, mourns with us. Mm -hmm. And um, I say that because only this kind of God can be trustworthy. The kind of God who at the slightest sin would want to send you to hell 
that's not a God I can trust. That's not a God I could love or worship. That's not a God I want to even be around with. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't, I don't want to talk to that type of a person. It just mm-hmm. sounds like an abusive parent or boyfriend or something. So letting go of the belief of hell has changed my view of myself and my sense of self-worth. It has changed my view of God and helped me realize that God can be loving and not vengeful. And lastly, and this is probably one you're not expecting. It gives me sympathy for people who are still in toxic religion. Mm. I think it's very, very easy for people who are deconstructing to understandably so be very Mm -hmm. angry at the teachings that they grew up with and to push that frustration and anger and trauma and, and pain onto conservatives. Um, And I've done that myself. I know. So I'm not (laughs) saying I didn't, Um, but I think I've learned and realized the more I think back to my high school self and remember what it was like to be in that mindset, terrified for someone else's salvation on my burden. The more I think about that, the kinder I want to be to evangelicals Mm. today, because of course they want to steer me on the right track. They are scared that I'm going to be burning in hell for all eternity because I don't agree with their theology. And even though I want to sit here and be like, can you just let me believe whatever I want to believe? Like sometimes I want to go crazy, but if I try to put myself back into their shoes and I remember what it was like, I am overwhelmed with understanding and kindness to them because I get it. I really do. It is a terrifying position to be in. It really is Mm. to have someone else's eternity depending on you. That's really hard. So I just ask our listeners, I know it's really difficult. Sometimes certain people can be really argumentative or dogmatic. I, I, whoever it might be a pastor or a friend or family member, whoever it might be, try to show kindness because you have no idea what kind of religious trauma they might be going through without even knowing it. Mm. Mm. Yes, that, that is so true. Um, and it's so hard to get to that point. So I want to recognize that and validate that and you to get to the point to see that and have that compassion and that understanding. Your anger is still holy, by the way, I should add, like if you are angry and hurting, that mm-hmm. is still understandable and can be a very um, real and valid experience. I do not at all seek to devalidate that because I got to say I'm angry all the time about things. (laughs) Uh, Kindness doesn't change what we believe. It changes how we engage with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And for you, and honestly, I mean, for people listening who struggle, and honestly, like I still struggle with like, 
even though I don't believe in hell or like the end times and all that shit, like I still struggle with that. It's that religious trauma that's ingrained. But like for you, as you went into your journey of searching scriptures and deconstructing hell from your research, what helped you deconstruct that? And I, I think I try to remember, but like, I think you had said earlier that the, the word hell wasn't really meant to be in the Bible. I think I can't remember if you said that or not. I can't remember if I said it, but I believe it. So I'll go. With <laughs> Got <it. you>. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So explain that. Sure. Um, I'm sure there are other people who could probably give a better rundown than me. And I will say, I'm going to put this out there. I have a long list of resources on my website organized by topic. So if you want mm. to listen more, learn more about deconstructing hell or deconstructing purity culture or growing in queer theology, whatever it might be, I have a whole list of resources that I've been building um, with the help of others, because people are always sending me new um, books, articles, podcasts, etc. cetera. Um, so if you ever want to check that out, go to heliascientist.com. Um, I do not earn from it. I solely have it up there to help other people. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say that because uh, some of the articles and podcasts listed there for deconstructing hell really helped me out. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to put that out there before I forgot. So, um, I think a lot of people, the first time that they really saw a different perspective of hell was reading from Rob Bell, Love Wins. Um, that was definitely one of the first, for me, I knew that there are different perspectives. What's funny is I actually disagree with his conclusion. However, I just love the way he got there. And this is one of the times where I don't care if I agree or disagree with the person. I loved his writing and I respected his, his approach, his kindness, his compassion. Um, so I don't think I believe that everyone automatically goes to heaven if heaven does exist. Um, I think that's a whole other topic. Um, but what he does really well with is um, deconstructing hell and going into what is hell? Um, what was Jesus actually talking about? Um, was it metaphorical? <laughs> um, was it a real place? There's one, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there's one that literally translated to a particular valley where it was basically like the trash dump yeah, I think um, it's Gehenna. I yes, think. Ge yes, yes, Gehenna. Um, mm -hmm. and um, and he's like, yes, the you know the the gnashing of teeth, like it's not demons, it's probably dogs that are getting into the trash, you know. And he's using that as a metaphor for bad people getting what's due to them. Like, I don't think that the Bible even if you were to look at it very literally, I don't think that the Bible tells of a eternal hell, um, eternal conscious torment. It doesn't make sense to me biblically. It also does not make sense to me ethically because I don't believe that a good God 
would do that to someone because in the scope of eternity, our life on earth is like a millisecond. Mm -hmm. And to judge someone for all eternity for um, what is respectively a millisecond, (laughs) that just seems incredibly wrong. Um, I also have the perspective that that we all have the potential for good and evil. I don't think we all have potential for extreme good or evil. I like to give that qualifier. I don't think we all have serial killers inside of ourselves. I should hope not. Um, but I do believe that we all have the potential to be to do good or bad things. And that given the right circumstances, we might act differently. Mm-hmm. And so again, to for a God, a good loving God, to judge humanity based upon what they did in very complicated context and then judge them for all eternity does not make sense ethically. It also does not make sense with the idea of a loving God, a loving, forgiving Mm -hmm. God. What kind of God is forgiving until you die? And they're like, okay, well now you're going to continue living, but my forgiveness is done. My grace is done. My mercy is done. I don't have any love for you anymore. That Mm -hmm. does not make sense to me at all. That doesn't make sense with who God is. Um, and then, yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot that you could take apart in it. Doesn't make sense biblically with who God is ethically at all. Um, and honestly letting go of the theology of hell, um, was one of the best things in my life. And I believe that theology should make your life better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe in the in um, the preachings of Jesus where he said, look at the fruit. You will be able to tell false teachings, bad teachings from the fruit. And I do believe in that. So I, I often look at how I react to a particular religious belief. Does it make me anxious? Does it make me kinder? Does it make mm-hmm. me more generous? Does it make me um, scared all the time or feel self-loathing? You know, how, how does it make me react? And this is not always obviously a, a perfect standard because <laughs> everyone's mm-hmm. going to react differently. But in general, um, good theology should improve your life. Yeah. And I can guarantee that the belief in hell was not making my life better. And it wasn't making me a kinder person. It was not making me a more loving, understanding person. Mm-hmm. It was making me anxious and honestly arrogant. And it made me feel the need to push my beliefs on others. And so that's also to me a sign that that is a belief I need to let go. Well, I've greatly enjoyed all the things. Like, I feel like we could just do a part two (laughs) and we could just part do a whole series. I could talk for eternity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And like, I hate to like, and we're getting close to the end, which I want to keep talking more, but. I guess for my last question, what advice do you have for people grappling 
with their faith or struggling deconstructing but want some kind of spirituality but still like that religious trauma is lingering what advice do you have for them So what's fun is that I actually ask that question a lot to people as well. What advice do you have? And the number one that I hear is know that you are not alone. And I think that's beautiful. I think Mm -hmm. that's incredibly encouraging because so many of us feel alone at first. But I would like to follow that up with know that you are not alone. Like, yes, that's important to know that that's good knowledge. But you've got to follow that up with finding community. Because you can know in one moment that you're not alone, but when you're feeling down, that knowledge is going to slip away. And I know what that is like. And it's going to be easy for the the confusion, the sadness, and the doubt to convince you that you are more alone than you are. So community might mean to you, it it might mean finding people on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you go Mm -hmm. on social media. It might mean... Um, reconnecting with old friends who might align with um, your newer views. It might mean um, listening to podcasts like this one or reading books and articles, Find just reminding yourself that there are other people um, and that there are other people who share your views um, because that's really important you got, sometimes you have to kind of prove to yourself that you're not crazy, <laughs> that you're not alone, that you're not, um, a bad Christian or a bad person. Goodness. No. Um, so that, and then I would say, treat yourself with kindness. You're going through a lot. And when I say treat yourself with kindness, I mean, you, the present you in this moment, And I mean the past you. So treat yourself with kindness and grace. You don't need to know everything. You do not need to have certainty about things. It's okay if you don't know what you believe. It's okay if you don't even know how you identify. It's okay Mm -hmm. if you're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, or an atheist or agnostic or somewhere in between. That's okay. You don't need an answer to that. If someone asks you, you can say, that's personal. Mm-hmm. Thank you, yeah. but I'm not going to answer. That's okay to say. So have grace and kindness to yourself in the present, but also have grace to your past self because you were going through a lot. You had all these toxic religious beliefs. Um, don't be embarrassed from where you came from. Don't be angry at yourself or shameful about what you once believed or how Mm. you once acted. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that my younger self did not have like TikTok or something because I would have been Mm. one of those cringy TikTokers talking about Bible verses. Like I was just, I was a very argumentative debating high schooler who just loved to be right. And I'm just, I look at my younger self and I say, I'm not going to be ashamed of you. I'm going to acknowledge that I have come a long way and I am proud of myself for growing and for changing. And I acknowledge all the things that made me the way I was, just as I acknowledge all the things that have made me who I am now. Oh, so, so beautiful. Thank you for saying all of that and it's just this conversation has been so incredible and just to see your own growth 
and also to see you share your journey with the world and helping other people deconstruct these toxic things like it's making a difference and I hope you know that um but just yeah thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing thank you your for having journey. me <laughs> of course of course I'm so glad um we could connect again and for people listening I have Haley's socials linked and I'll definitely be linking your website with the resource page and I'm honestly going to check that out definitely tomorrow because I'm curious about all this stuff you have and I have people all the time who will message me and say like, oh my gosh, I love this book. Can you add it to your resources list? And I, mm -hmm. I try to keep it as updated as possible. Okay, I will great. give, I do give the disclaimer at this point, I've had so many people suggest new books, et cetera, that I haven't actually like myself verified all of them. Mm. I just know that these are books that have helped other people. I so see. some of them I have personally benefited from at this point, the list is so long. That <laughs> Got you. <laughs> um, so I will say like, if there's ever a book that you don't like, that's okay. That's okay. You don't need to love all of them, but I would say that a lot of, a lot of the items listed though, have changed my life. Mm -hmm. They are, they are our YouTube videos, articles, books, even specific podcast episodes, not even just podcasts, sometimes specific podcast episodes that have just changed my way of viewing the world or scripture, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I know I'm again, sorry, another monologue, but no, I'm just so saying good. that there's just so much content out there. Like mm -hmm. we feel like we're such a tiny community, but we're actually growing every yeah. single day. Every mm -hmm. day there are more books coming out. So I just... I want to say you are so not alone. Whoever is listening, just uh -huh. you, you got to know you are in a growing community and you've got a lot going for you. It, it, it might be crazy right now, but mm. there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that light is burning away all the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Yes. <laughs> oh, again, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for everyone who's listening and this was speaking up with andrew pledger thank you for listening to speaking up with andrew pledger your support is much appreciated please leave a review and share with friends and family and if you can please support me on patreon and the link is in my description Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.